Let's talk shoes for a moment. If you didn't know, my closet is all about my shoe obsession. And I love a comfy shoe as much as I love to struggle to walk in a foreign stiletto. I wanted to get you hip to Tom's shoes, some of the most comfortable shoes I've ever purchased. Disclaimer, I'm an affiliate and super excited to introduce them to you. From slip-ons to sneakers, flats, heels, and wedges, they have you covered. And they're in business to improve lives. For every $3 that they make, they give away $1. Check out their fun new styles at the link in the show notes and get a spring in your step. Yes, honey, it's almost spring. Can you believe it? Try some on. I bet you live in them. And let me know what color you select. You're listening to Sweet Bites with Sandra with your host, Dr. Sandra Coltimedici. Follow on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Sandra Coltimedici the podcast and lifestyle Instagram at Sweet Bites with Sandra. And for upcoming course announcements, follow College of Style on Instagram as well. Want to enjoy more sweet rewards? Join Sandra's Facebook groups, Sweet Bites with Sandra, Content Creator Convention, WA Guest Blogging, and Twitter Spaces Female Entrepreneurs. Hi, I'm Sandra, and I'd like to invite you to subscribe and listen to my new podcast, Sweet Pipes with Sandra. Satisfy your entrepreneurial sweet tooth in each episode full of digital business tips, inspiring interviews, asides from my entertainment career, and rewards to celebrate your sweet success. Find Sweet Bites with Sandra on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Thank you so much for joining me on Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sandra Coltimedici. Now, I love who I have on this episode. His name is Joe Lucchese, and he is the executive vice president of Groundswell Experiential. And he is a long, long, long time friend of mine. And he's actually one of the first, he's actually the person who told me to just start when I contacted him. I contacted him last year and was like, I don't know what to do. I just graduated from college. I just got my doctorate. Where should I go from here? And he was like, ask yourself what, what really makes you happy and then do that. And so this is part of the reason why the podcast came into existence. And so I'm excited to have him on the podcast this week. Now let's get right into it, shall we? So in 2020, I created a conference, a virtual conference, first of its kind, called Icons of Online Movement. And it was at closer to the beginning of where we were all in lockdown. And I I knew that there were a lot of dance professionals and fitness professionals who were having to make this really, really fast transition to e-commerce and online learning that they had not had to do prior to this. Now, some people had already transitioned and were doing virtual classes, but there were a lot of dance and fitness professionals who had not done that. And it was a shock to all of us, you know, no matter what industry you're in. And so I created this virtual conference. And so today I wanted to talk about three things if you are trying to create your own virtual conference to really think about when you're putting it together. The first thing is to schedule guests that do not cancel. Now, I know that might sound simple. (laughs) It might sound like, oh, I got that, Sandra. I know about that. But it is hard, hard to maintain credibility if the people that you are putting on your flyers or your, your advertising 
are no-shows because people are paying maybe for your virtual conference. They want to see the people speak who are supposed to be attending and giving whatever your keynote is or whatnot. They want to be receiving what you are saying you're going to deliver. So make sure that you're reaching out to schedule speakers who you know are committed to the actual date that you have scheduled them and the time that you've scheduled them and they show up and they do not they do not cancel because that is that is that's the worst part. The second thing is plan for an internet fail. <laughs> and what I mean by this is everything, you know, it's going great. The morning, it's amazing. You know what happened the morning that I had the virtual conference? I'm pretty sure that it rained. It was either that morning or the day, the night before. And a lot of people were saying that their internet was out and so they couldn't log in or whatnot. And it wasn't logging into the actual conference. It was that they couldn't log in on their end. So making sure that you have all the technology set up, whether it's making sure you're hardwired into that um, ethernet or, or whatever it is that you have to do to make sure that you're not just on Wi-Fi, but that you have the backup internet capabilities to make sure that you are solid. The other thing, make sure that your speakers are solid with their internet connection because you don't want to have a weird glitchy back and forth. Oh, I can't see you. You've, you're stuck. You're pixelated. All of those things go into making it smooth and seamless so that the viewer on the other side is having a good experience during your virtual conference. The other and last really important thing, plan ahead with how you're going to splice up your content because it's it's great to have a virtual conference. It's another thing to have a plan put in place so that you can edit down all of that important material that you got out during your virtual conference and create additional content from it. If you have a plan in place and say, okay, I've got 10 inter interviews that I did during this conference and so I'm gonna use 10 minutes of each interview and put that on Twitter. And I'm going to take five minutes of each interview and put it on my Facebook. And I'm going to take uh, the entire length of each interview and put it onto um, a series of part one, part two, part three, part four on YouTube. You need to have that plan in place so that when you send it off or if you're doing the editing yourself, you have a plan on how to splice it up because it will make it so much easier, so much easier. Let me tell you, if you have that plan in place so that you're not going back and saying, oh, now I need a 10 minute version or oh now I need a 30 second clip or oh no don't do that to yourself plan ahead to know how you're going to splice up your content to disperse it and deliver it to all your different advertising platforms whether it's on Facebook or Twitter or Snapchat or TikTok or whatever however you're going to splice it up make sure you have that plan in place uh, before you actually have your conference so that when you're in the editing bay you know exactly what you're doing. So let's take a call from one of our listeners. So I had a question come in on email about what questions you should ask when setting up a Facebook group. And so he, I think they allow you three questions at this point. One, I would always ask how they heard about your Facebook group. And this varies across a lot of different people, like what they would ask. But I always love to know, like, how did you hear about my Facebook group? Was it because you were searching the Facebook groups? Were you looking for a specific topic? Did you see an advertisement that I had posted? Were you just on my website and you saw that I had a Facebook group and clicked the link. So I always like to know where they came to the Facebook group from. The other one is if you have a newsletter, I would always ask them to 
join in the update. Sign up for the newsletter so that you have their email address so that you can constantly um, keep them updated on what you're doing, what the group's doing, and you can take them offline. My friend Nikki Delonzo talked about social media being the party and you always want to take them back from the party to your house. <laughs> and your house is having that email address and back to your website so that you have a way to communicate with them in a different place because you never know when a social media platform is going to go down. So the third question is something relevant to your business. What's the biggest pain point of your business right now? And then leave them a blank field for them to enter. A lot of times it's good to figure out what's what's unique to that person so that you can figure out how you can help them. So those are the three that I would go with. And you can always tweak those. You can always change out your membership questions right now. Um, I say that because things change on Facebook all the time. Those are the three that I would start with. If you have a question that you would like answered on Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast, feel free to call 401-216-5059, leave a voicemail, and you too could be featured on the podcast. Just in time for Valentine's Day, I wanted to give you a sweet bite to indulge in from Baked by Melissa. I love their cupcakes, and as an affiliate, I love passing their sweet deals on to you. So take advantage today of their Sweet Thinking of You 25-pack box and share them. Or don't. (laughs) Either way, they're delicious. Find the link in the show notes and on my blog. Enjoy celebrating your loved ones this February and all year long. Welcome back to Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast. I am so excited to be talking with my really, really longtime friend, Joe Lucchese. And um, I haven't spoken, actually, I should have said, I should say, I haven't seen you in a long time, but we've kept in touch on email and all of those other social platforms. So thank you for joining me on the podcast. Yes, thanks for having me. It's, it's great to be able to see you again and speak with you. Yeah, well, so you have transitioned from way back when I knew you in um, Las Vegas to now you are the executive vice president at Groundswell Experiential. So tell people exactly what it is that you do there. Yeah, well, in order to, to share that, the, the backstory of this is that Groundswell Experiential recently acquired Project, which was the agency my partner Mike and I founded and started uh, approximately from 2014 through uh March of 2020, and then we were acquired in March of 2020. And with that came the new title of Executive Vice President. And my main role for Executive Vice President is to make sure that all the agency's goals and objectives are being met from an executive level. And I could go in a lot of detail about what that is on a day-to-day, but I'm sure you have some specific questions. But <laughs> Well, yeah. So, so how does it feel? Okay. So I... I know from knowing you what you can do and what your capabilities are because you started with Event Joe. So talk about that because it's kind of like an evolution of you going, you know, through that kind of like producer mode. Um, I feel like with a lot of different touring and, uh, bands and, and events and just kind of this like evolution of what that was. So can you talk about some of the people I know you've worked with like BlackBerry and U2 and like all of these great organizations and entities. So can you kind of start with that and where you created that platform for from and what kind of, you know, what is that inspiration that keeps you going in that, in that uh, experiential lane? 
Yeah, for sure. So Event Joe was my first answer to what it meant to be an entrepreneur. And I went to school in Las Vegas at UNLV to study hotel and entertainment management. And from there, um, I was able to determine what my North Star was in terms of making a living and what that meant to me and my happiness. And fortunately, I was born with that because I always knew from a very young age that I wanted to be involved with some sort of fashion of entertainment, be it the logistics, the production, the backstage. And over time, leading up to college, uh, those specifics were unveiled to me. So for example, I'll never forget, it was probably 1996, summer of 1996, I was at the uh, New World Music Theater, which, is a, which was a famous uh, outdoor amphitheater in the Chicagoland area, and I was watching the Dave Matthews Band. And as I was stumbling around the dark on the lawn, I looked, knowing again that I wanted to be in entertainment. And at this point, I was ready on track to go to, to UNLV shortly thereafter. I saw the band playing. I'm like, you know what? That's great. But there has to be a team of people behind the band that makes them able to perform and function as, as a unit that people love to come and see. And I said to myself, that's who I want to be. I want to be the, the, the person behind there. And I remember thinking to myself, standing with their arms crossed, looking out to the sea of people. That's who I want to be. So from there, went to college, found experiences that allowed me to uh, tickle those different interests. And then ultimately, um, a year out of college, I was working for downtown Las Vegas at the Fremont Street Experience as an entertainment manager. And that opportunity afforded me so many different experiences from being a location manager for, for major motion pictures, for being location manager for uh, TV, film, and video shoots, to being the event manager for big festivals. But I always wanted to go on tour, always had it in me that I wanted to go on tour with a band. And coincidentally enough, a good friend of mine who I went to college with um, started working for a large entertainment company called Bill Silva Management. And he was asked to go on the road with a punk rock band at the time that was blowing up. And that punk rock band was called Unwritten Law. And they had a bunch of hits out on at the, the famous uh, platform at the time was TRL, Total Request Live. So they were, they were making some, some big noise. He did a tour with them. And then during the year of, of after college, me working for the Fremont Street, my friend came to me and said, look, I know that you've always wanted to go on tour. There's a new singer songwriter that's about to break. Um, we need someone to help drive his 15 passenger van with a trailer. Would you want to do that? And I said, yeah, I would love that. But, you know, what's, what are the details? And he's like, well, the pay's not good. It's about $300 a week. Um, you're not going to sleep. You have to give up your job and we don't know what's going to happen after this. So I gave up a really good job uh, working for downtown Las Vegas and Fremont Street to live in a van for a couple of months. And uh, that singer songwriter ended up being Jason Mraz. And it was one of his first tours that he did in North America. That is crazy. But obviously you made the right decision, right? <laughs> I did, I, I did make the right decision. And, and this goes into another lane of conversation where identifying the North Star. So you, you asked me, I think a little bit about like the motivation and what I do. It, it really comes down to identifying what your North Star is and that North Star will, will change, it should change over time, but it's a guiding post for you to look up as a North Star is and help direct you. So I knew that I wanted to be involved with entertainment. 
didn't know what, but that was my North Star, why I went to UNLV. At UNLV, it afforded me more, more opportunities. Went on tour and got that bug where I was like, oh my gosh, this is great. This is what I always wanted to do. And then eventually that led me um, to working for another company because the touring uh, cycle runs based on, at least at this point, I'm sure it still, it still does today, but it runs on the schedule of album releases. And so after these tours I did with Jason Mraz, um, he was going in the studio to write an album. Another band that I was kind of working with was going in the studio to write an album. So I had about a year to two years of time where I, I said, I'm not gonna go on tour right now anymore. I wanna focus on the opportunity to really increase my salary, my experience with a professional organization. And an opportunity presented my, itself where I was able to be the production manager for an entertainment company called Triumph Entertainment. And their big client was another group called the Rouse Company, which no longer exists. And the Rouse Company at that time owned shopping centers and shopping uh, destinations all over the country. And they were investing about a billion dollars into their new project on uh, the Strip for Las Vegas, which was the fashion show shopping center. And they were completely redoing it and were building custom entertainment installations, everything from stages to major LED screens to um, uh, a giant catwalk for fashion shows and other production for it. So I, I took the job and managed that entertainment platform for about two years. And while I was there, I couldn't ignore the fact that I loved touring, but I was also an entrepreneur. And I didn't really understood what that meant to be an entrepreneur. And mind you, this was 2003 through 2004, 2005. So within that two-year window, I really learned a lot about entrepreneurship to the point where I said, all right, if I wanted to have the career that I want, being back on tour, working for big brands and big bands, I can't do this here. I'm going to have to make a leap of faith. And I did. And what I did was I started a company called Event Joe. And it was essentially just me. And I tried to make it look bigger and badder than it actually was. But what Event Joe was at that time was a touring and event management solution for brands, bands, and agencies. And I saw, I saw an opening in the market, which was independent contracting work, experiential marketing work, and brand work, a band work needed one individual, but I could supply those entities with team members that I really like working with and I trusted and put them out on the road or give them projects and kind of build a small team of independent contractors. And I did that for, gosh, probably about four years. And in that four years, I was able to do major world tours uh, with the likes of, you know, the Kings of Leon, the police reunion uh, tour, which you can see on the wall here. And um, DJ Z Trip, Mixmaster Mike, and, and a whole bunch of other really interesting artists, which led me to working with brands. And brands would call me up and say, we have this large program that's going out. Um, we need someone to manage this. And it would be everything from we're going to be in one city for a month and six cities. So about six or seven months worth of, of a project. And we're going to need you to live in Miami, Dallas, Las Vegas, LA, New York City, Chicago for a month at a time to produce these experiences. So with my work ethic and just a really good solid list of people that I would bring in, um, the reputation grew, the name grew, and opportunity came from that. And one of those opportunities was working for um, another big agency. But 
I just want to stop there and see if there's any you know questions or from hitting, <laughs> no hitting. I'm just I'm pulling it all in because I knew you from way back with Will <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean like this is like it's so funny because your your evolution you've always been a go-getter and so I just it's interesting hearing kind of the the way that it came about because um, you know, I've, I've seen flashes of your brilliance, you know, along the way of, you know, you being able to pull people together. And so just here, I'm just listening to it because you're a good storyteller. So I'm just listening to it. And I feel like the people who are going to listen to this podcast are going to understand that, you know, it doesn't take a village to start a business. Like you put yourself out there as event Joe and then built upon that, obviously. So when you're thinking about some of the, like the lessons that you've learned along the way, you know, what are maybe two things that you could say, you know, that, you know, gosh, if I had started event Joe now, what, what would I have done differently that, that, you know, I made that hiccup there and I could have totally fixed that. Yeah, that's great. I think the, the greatest lessons are failures. And one of the biggest lessons I learned was within the first 18 to 24 months of me um, working on Event Joe, I was traveling 11 months out of the year for about four years. And while you're moving that fast, it's hard to think of anything that's outside of the moment. You know, touring is, is a very hard industry, but in my opinion, it provides people with some of the best work ethic because you're on a plane, you're on a train, you're on a boat, you're in a car, you're wherever, the back of a taxi or an Uber, working constantly. And you have to create systems and processes that help you be efficient. I didn't know that during my first year to two years of this. And as I, as I said, I was solely just looking at where I was and not where I was going. And I didn't pay attention to when this project ends, what am I gonna do next? Because a lot of the project work is either with a consistent band or a brand and it just overlaps. But for whatever reason, this particular time in my life, I didn't have it planned out. So I hit, I hit the summer um, without, any line, without, without any work lined up. And I had money in you know, the bank and saved it all, but it, it still was very hard. And it, it took a lot out of me emotionally because I was still grappling with what it meant to be humble, what it meant to have pride in your work. But what it, what it meant to just be humble and not worry about what other people are doing. You know, a part of my personal demons has always been, is my ambition um, big enough or is, does my brain power and my smarts match my ambition? Sometimes you need both because it's, it's really great to have the ambition, but you need to have a solid plan in order to quench that ambition. So I, at that time in my life, I was associating ambition and success with material things rather than personal satisfaction or ultimately where I've landed now with love, right? right. So that was a very big um, stepping stone and learning curve for me that I would recommend to other people is plan your work and work your plan, live presently, but don't forget about the next three steps that you need to make in order to, to create security for yourself. The other thing that I've learned is the, the power of tact and negotiation with tact or just dealing with people with tact. And tact to me is making a point without making an enemy. So having a, a smooth um, conversation or words with your, you know, using your tongue, you know, for speech, for the benefit of what you're working on together collaboratively, even if it's a tough negotiation, or even if it's, and this is how it started, talking to a roadie when you're loading in 
um, a DJ show at a primarily rock concert before DJs were big and having everyone look at you and being like, you know, who's this who thinks they're going to set up their turntables here, you know, and having to go into that environment and smooth them out with charm, with, you know, words that would match the occasion and not being bitter or, or nasty about it. Because every time that we run in that situation, we would always get pushback from those types of people. So learning to circumnavigate that through tact has served me well, but I've learned some pretty bad lessons from, from it not going well. So those are the two things, having tact and then planning a work and work your plan. My other question for you has to do with going from event Joe to project, because that whole process, how do you, how do you stop one and start another, or did it just kind of fold into something else? It's a great question. So because of the work I was doing with Eventjo um, and it being exhausting, I, I realized that I needed a couple of things to succeed. So I started focusing on that. I just started asking, you know, willfully out to the universe. So I, I concluded in the, in the spring of 2008 that I wanted to have a team to support me, that I wanted to have control over my schedule, control over my income, and I wanted to be able to be in one place. So at that time, it was Chicago for me. So it was those four things that I really had the mindset to want to identify and find. So from spring until summer, I had thought that that meant it needed to happen on my own through my own resources, meaning building a team that could do that for me and with me. But I forgot that I was asking for something. I was asking for those four things. So as time went on, um, an agency that was based in Los Angeles had reached out to me and said, we've been working together for, for quite some time now. You've been an independent contractor of ours. Would you be open to doing a full-time situation? And with that, Joe, we would give you the opportunity to stay in Chicago and open up an office for us. You'll have control over your schedule because it's your own office. You'll have control over your income because the new business that you bring in will benefit you. They basically gave me the opportunity for everything that I had asked for. But again, my mindset was it needed to be on my own. So then that's when I really learned about, though, if you're going to ask for something, you know, theoretically, and really make that a mandate and a mantra in your life, you have to be open to how you're going to receive it. Because it's not going to always come in the perfect box. So that allowed me for four years to do some amazing projects. That's when I worked with uh, BlackBerry um, and U2 and toured with them, the Black IPs, Coldplay, and, and a whole bunch of other really amazing projects. But it was during that time where, once again, my ambition was bigger than, than my capacity to make it happen. And I started to get unhappy in my job. I started to get um, complacent and bored and frustrated. So I had to go back in. Um, you know, towards the end of 20, what was it, 20, 2011, I had to go back inside myself and say, all right, Joe, you're, you're getting older now, you're wanting to start a family and, you know, grow your, your personal life. What do you want your day to look like? How do you want to wake up every day? And how do you want to make money and, and do that and support your family and your loved ones? And so after uh, months of, of soul searching, I landed again on a couple of, of things that I wanted. I wanted to use my network for everyone's benefit and find a way where I could make a living by supporting other people's creativity and interests and aligning with a win-win solution. And then that evolved into, well, maybe there is an event or something that I could do 
where I could gather like-minded individuals together, connect them, and they could share information. To me, one day in January of 2012, locking myself in the office for a week and writing the first draft of a business plan for, for what would become project. And then from January until July, I just refined it. I found people that were smarter than me and believed in me to help me with the initial idea. And then I created um, a small, I guess you could call it like founders team of uh, four or five individuals that I really like working with and that believe in the vision. And then finally, July of 2012, we did our first event. And it was, the, it was a true form project event where we connected about 30 people, all analog, meaning they would walk into the room, we would introduce them together for specific reasons, and we would highlight those reasons. So like, you know, Jill, you're a brand manager, and Bob, you're an, uh, an experiential agency owner, you guys need to meet, those sort of connections. And then we brought in some really interesting speakers to give their points of view on what their expertise was. And it was after that event where I said to myself, this is it, I want to invest everything I can to make this happen. So I quit my full-time job um, in August of 2012. And as I was leaving that, I got approached by another agency to bring me in at a, at a much larger pay rate. And I said to myself, well, this must be a sign. So maybe I should put Project on hold. Again, Project didn't have a name at this point. So I put it on hold. And within two weeks, I knew I made a horrible decision. I hated the job. I, I just hated it all. I was going against the very, every fiber in my body and my, all my cells of what I was supposed to be doing and what I wanted to do. So I quit that job without any income and just said, screw it, went for it. And, and how I did that was aligning up, again, plan your work and work your plan using those past uh, failures. I lined up key consultancies that I didn't know at the time, but were everything that I had wanted to happen and what eventually project would become. So I did that and that helped fund the family and that helped fund these little endeavors to, to keep the, the project lights on. And then ultimately it came to a point from 20, what was it? It was 2012 through 2014, where we had done several events for project and came up with the name, came up with the identity, came up with different technologies and invested all of this through my partner, Mike and I's own means to, to make this packaged event that connected people, that gathered data, and was a live stream series, was a, a speaker series. It was all the things that we wanted it to be, but it still wasn't making us money. So ultimately, uh, the summer of 2014, another big agency came to me and said, Joe, we loved your work when we worked in the past. We see that you have a new team now. We would love to bring you guys in and white label you in order to produce this massive experiential program that we're doing um, at the end of the summer in 2014. Do you want to do it? I'm like, yeah, that'd be great. But I only said that because the, the previous months um, didn't go well for us financially. We had lined up several different major uh, programs that were all based on consultancy, meaning we were going to refer agencies, get a big retainer commission from that, and then keep that money going to invest in the project. All those went away within about three weeks, and it was absolutely devastating because shortly thereafter, my, my son Frankie was going to be born. And I had, I had banked on all of this income because it was a sure shot to then allow me when Frankie was going to be born in May to be home that summer and you know help raise a newborn. But all that went away. So I was sitting at the, at, 
literally looking down the barrel of a, of a life done where I'm like, all right, there's no money coming in. I have this startup. What are we going to do? But if it wasn't for that additional leap of faith to take this opportunity with this agency, project would never have existed the way that it was uh, ultimately destined to become. And so what happened was while we were doing this big project, all of my partners that helped me with project and that I brought in to help me with this project sat, sat me down and were like, why are we doing this for another company? We should be doing this for, for, for us, for project. And I'm like, you know what? You're absolutely right. All my efforts of moonlighting and consulting are, are in vain because I'm spreading my energy and my focus around. I need to be very focused. And that's always my belief is if you don't have focus, especially when you're starting a business, it, it's next to impossible. You need every bit of, of mind power and energy honed in on one location to make it successful. So once that decision was made in my mind, it, it was literally like a rocket ship just blew off. We started taking meetings and traveling to New York. I'll, I'll never forget, it was the fall of uh, this November of 2014. I went to New York and met with as many people as I could within like a three-day period. And from those meetings, we had the foundational client base that helped start Project. And then 2015 started to, to really blow up for us. We started getting new clients. And then we started getting RFPs from mega brands like Anheuser-Busch. And that was uh, the, the beginning of what Project became. And what Project became was a three-tiered um, experiential marketing agency that focused on true-to-form experiential marketing, uh, representing entertainment properties for brand partnerships, such as concert venues, venues in general, and large festivals. And then our third pillar was our proprietary events. So the Project event eventually became monetized, and we created several smaller events within that. And through um, the use of social media, how we promoted ourselves and the ultimate ethos, which is if you win, we win. That led us to being acquired by a really great group of people, which is Groundswell Experiential. So that's the big lossy version. That's amazing. <laughs> well, so now I know that you are, um, you know, you, you're humble in that you you know, kind of, you're throwing out names, but but you're kind of just dancing over them. And I feel like there are so many people who have not been introduced to you properly. And if they are looking for someone who does what you do, um, you know, I will certainly put all of your contact information into the show notes for um, for this particular podcast. But what I wanted to touch on is something that you um, you continually do, and I'm not sure. Um, when you turn it off, which is you're constantly working. And now that you have a family, that's one of the things that I, you know, um, I know that some listeners will probably struggle with is being their own boss, but knowing when to turn off that, you know, that work switch and, and put it to bed. So what is your, what's your, your process like? Do you, do you bring your phone into the, into the, you know, your, where you sleep or, or what, when do you turn it off? Yeah, so a part of my process starts in the morning to keep me to keep me grounded, and I, I do a lot of journal journaling in the morning, more about just writing things that I, I want to have happen, and just taking a collective inventory, um, and then I I do a lot of I don't want to say a lot of, but I I try to meditate three or four times a day, even if it's for a minute to five to ten minutes, and that really helps me to be grounded, and that's something that I found over time that helps bring things to my life or helps me to realize um, who I am and how I should uh, approach a, a situation. 
The other part, which comes with experience and, and comes with any small amount of what you deem successful in your life. Um, for me, it, it is looking back now and saying, you know what? I've accomplished everything that I asked for. So I'm not, I'm not worried anymore. I'm, I'm, very, I'm still very ambitious and I'm still very competitive, but it, it doesn't consume me like it once did. And I was that way. I was always on my phone, first thing when I woke up, you know, last thing when I, I go to bed. And I'm, I'm guilty of it too. But now where I'm at in my life is I understand that the moment is happening. You know, especially after having a child, that the moment is happening now. And do I want my son to think about the times he spent with me with me not being present? You know, and, and that's something that my parents, especially my, my dad, you know, because we're talking about, I'm a, obviously a guy and my dad's a, a man as well. I, I never look back on my childhood where he was not present with me. He was always present with me. And what we do right now in the moment is going to give us our future. So if I can't do that, if I can't turn it off, then what, what is the worth? What, why is it worth turning on? Does that make sense? And yes, it does. <laughs> the big, yeah, the big thing for me is I love what I do. I am so in love with all of this that it's not work to me. Yes, there's parts of it where I'm like, this sucks. I hate putting together contracts and I hate these little administrative things that I can only do and that I need to do. So I'll just try my best to not procrastinate and do that. But it's not really work for me because it's it's such a passion. But that doesn't mean that I can't try to be present in each moment. Right. Well, that, that definitely, I, I know that being present for me helped me contact you not too long ago and say, I need you to tell me what to do <laughs> because I was in the middle of one of my moments of, you know, what do I do next? You know, I've done a lot in entertainment and I've done a lot with publishing. And now I'm kind of like in this weird zone. Cause I had just graduated from uh, my, you know, doctorate program. And I was like, I don't know what to do. And you know what you said to me, you said, just start. Yeah. Right. And that's what a lot of people need to hear. They don't need to hear the details of it necessarily. They just need to hear the words that they probably knew themselves in the back of their head, which is do what you love. And that for me was priceless. I really should have just paid you for that advice at that point. <laughs> um, but, but I definitely wanted to thank you for that. And then one last question. Do you have any advice for people who are in maybe your similar situation where you've got a great project go project going right and and then you merge right so what are some of the things some of the lessons that or takeaways that you learned from merging with another company and still keeping i guess true to who you are in that process yeah well merger and acquisition is, is a little bit different from we we were acquired meaning everything that was in his project is now owned by by groundswell Gotcha. And, and I guess the same, my answer is going to be the, the same for a merger is you have to do it with people that you really care about. You, you have to have good people. If you don't have good people on either side, it just won't work regardless of what the details or what the deal points are. So um, Ed Slavin is the, the president and founder of Groundswell. And he and I and my, my partner, Mike, and I have worked together for a number of years prior to this. Um, and there was just an innate trust of understanding who he is and who we were and what's important. 
And that is the most important thing because yes, it's a different brand. It's no longer project. It's, it's a different brand, but the soul of, of what we were and what we built is exactly what Groundswell wanted. And that soul is a part of me. So that makes it so much easier. It makes it so much easier because they're not saying, all right, now you have to dye your hair and wear a uniform and, you know, change that tattoo or no, it's, we, we love you the way you are. We want you to do that. And we want you to do it underneath this, this flag. Now it's a lot easier to, to do that and say, yes, especially, I think the other part is getting out of your own way. Like we've been approached several times for a merger or acquisition and it just never felt right. But getting out of your own way, your own pride and being like, okay, I know when a good thing is, is done and I know when the next thing is done. And going back to what I have always said, the, the, the questions I was asking or what I wanted to put out there was, I want to do this, but I want to do it bigger and better and more efficiently. You know, we, we, we've gotten to, a, we got to a point with Project where, yeah, we could have kept going, but the ambitions of what we wanted to have um, probably wouldn't be, be obtained through the, the current way that it was. So again, it got answered, just not in the package that I originally thought it was. So get out of your own way and do it with people that you really care about or that are good people. Nice. Well, that is a great way to end this particular interview. Stick with us on Sweet Bites with Sandra uh, for the rest of the podcast episode, but check out Extra Bite on the blog because he's sticking with us to answer just a few more questions and we'll see you on the next one. Have you been to my shop lately? I have been in the lab and creating new items just for you. Take a look at the decor, the brand new eye collection, and spanking new done for you templates for social media. Yes, <laughs> I told you, I am giving you my A game in 2021. Check it out and buy yourself a little something to reward yourself for making a commitment to yourself to rock 2021 like no other. Just visit www.sandracoltimadc.com forward slash shop today. So I want to tell a story about one of my entertainment gigs, and it was one of the most fun. And I say that about all of these ones. But it was really, I think it was fringeworthy. I know. Is that a really good? I don't even think that's a word. But <laughs> I did a performance on Dancing with the Stars with Raphael Sadiq, and it was to a song called 100 Yard Dash. And literally, we were just racing with this choreography. I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. It was so much fun. And it was um, Fatima Robinson. Now, what was so much fun about this is we had these fringe outfits. And I swear, it was the longest fringe ever. And we were in the in the dressing room and they were cutting our fringe, <laughs> literally cutting our fringe around our bodies. And it was the funniest thing because the entire floor, the entire floor was covered, covered in fringe. So that's why I call it fringe worthy. Um, but you'll have to check out the video. I'm pretty sure it's still on the internet. I will post it if I can find it because sometimes it gets taken down. But um, Raphael Sadiq, 100, 100 Yard Dash, so, so much fun and such a great musical artist. Just such a consummate performer and really, really nice to work with, as well as Fatima Robinson. So check it out and I hope you like it. For those of you with big hair like me, you're probably always on the lookout for a good brush. And I mean one that can handle a lot of hair. Well, you're in luck because I found the Shu Uremura Large Paddle Brush. 
I'm an affiliate and you are about to get those tangles gone today, girl. Check out the link in the show notes and enjoy less stress knowing that your brush is ready to take on your amazing, amazing hair. So of course, there is Extra Bite on every episode of Sweet Bites with Sandra, the podcast. And this week, I wanted to talk about caramelized apples. (laughs) Now, if you know me, I don't drink any hot tea or any hot beverages, but I love a hot caramel apple cider from Starbucks if I can get my hands on it. Um, And apples are my favorite fruit. And so caramelized apples, I love, love, love putting those bad boys in the oven, baking them down and putting them over some vanilla ice cream. Just, just picture that. Just take a moment. (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, So if that's something that you want to um, take a moment and do, I'm going to show you my version of it at home on my uh, website. Go to www.sandracoltonmedici.com forward slash blog and you'll see it in my Sweet Bites along with a sweet reward, of course. And this week, um, I am going to be giving away a $25 gift certificate to amazon.com because I love Amazon and you can always get some great things there. Um, So make sure that you check that out and submit yourself to be on the Spotify playlist. There is a brand new one this week, so check it out on the website as well. And I'll see you guys next time. If you would like to sponsor an episode of Sweet Bites with Sandra, make sure to send an email to info at including the subject line, be a sponsor.